Welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR show, where we save you time by providing you the too long didn't read summary of cybersecurity topics and news. You can find us on YouTube with video and all the popular podcasting platforms for audio on the go. Now let's get over to your host, John Good. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR show. My name is John Good, and this is the weekly recap for cybersecurity news covering May 29th, 2022 through June 4th, 2022. If you're joining us on YouTube, want to appreciate you for joining us and thank you. And make sure to leave a like on this and subscribe to the channel. If you're listening us listening to us on a podcasting platform, go ahead and subscribe and leave us a review so we know how we're doing. I want to thank you for joining us and let's go ahead and switch on over to the, the news here. So very first article that we have for this week, Microsoft warned that hackers are using more advanced techniques to steal credit card data. Now, this article says it's been discovered by researchers uh, from Microsoft that credit card skimmers are on the rise in which threat actors are employing more sophisticated methods in order to hide their malicious code that steals information from consumers. In order to avoid detection, threat actors hide their code snippets in image files inject them into web applications that are popular and disguise them as white hat sites. Now, anytime that you can get any kind of attack or malicious code into a website, so it's embedded and any user that goes to that website will activate that code or will run it, launch it. That's a big deal because you're really taking advantage of that client server relationship and that trust and you're getting people to execute that. Now, the main reason why I brought up this article really is just to let you know that credit card skimmers are not just for physical kind of point of sale systems, like you would go to the grocery store and get your credit card skimmed or the gas station, something like that. This is actually going into websites that are being infected And basically, you probably would not know this is even happening because that code, again, is embedded in image files. So it's really just kind of an awareness kind of thing, especially if you're taking credit card payments or doing things like that with transactions on your website. You have to be concerned with this. You have to be concerned about your supply chain and how you're getting some of these software applications. So it was really just to start off with an awareness kind of article. See here, let's go ahead and go to the next article. All right. China offering 10 nations help to run their cyber defenses and networks. China's begun talking to 10 nations in the South Pacific with an offer to help them improve their network infrastructure, cybersecurity, digital forensics, and other capabilities, all with the help of Chinese tech vendors. All right, this is starting to sound interesting. The draft agreement proposes assistance with data governance, training local police, and mapping the marine environment. Supply of customs management applications, possible funding of data links to island nations, and cybersecurity assistance are also reportedly on the table. That's a nod to accusations that China practices what's been labeled debt trap diplomacy, whereby development assistance comes into repayment plans uh, with repayment plans small nations may not be able to afford. Defaults lead to Chinese entities taking over ownership of those assets. So really, this is kind of like a loan shark kind of situation, right? 
where China offers these extravagant, th- extravagant things that companies or countries rather can't end up affording to be able to, um, to, to fund, to pay for, and then China thereby inherits those technologies or those products or those services. Now, again, it's kind of a loan shark tactic. It, well, not kind of, it really is. But keep that in mind with technologies that are in your countries that you're at. And, you know, I think that China is probably one of the most notorious for doing this. But, you know, that's a real concern, especially if you develop certain kinds of technologies that you want to keep internal to your country and not let other countries really take advantage of or capitalize on that technology. Uh, let's let's be honest. You also don't want to get ripped off by other countries or anything like that. Kind of another discussion, but uh, debt trap diplomacy. So I really want you to keep that that term in mind, and also to just the fact that China is offering to help run cyber defense and networks. That's it's interesting. Um, it, it sounds you know suspicious in general, but. You know, it's happening out there, so it's something that we don't hear about a whole lot in the news on a daily basis. Let's see here. Make this a little bit easier to read here by enlarging this. All right, so ransomware demands act of kindness to get your files back. Now, this is really interesting, and this kind of is different and goes against the grain of what normally happens. But like most other ransomware, Goodwill encrypts the usual uh, usual file types, documents, database, photographs, and videos, locking away your content. Okay, so standard ransomware kind of interaction. But rather than deemed thousands of uh, demand, thousands of pounds worth of cryptocurrency in exchange for the decryption key, the Goodwill ransom key, ransomware wants you to do something good for the world and provide some video proof. Now there's also a quote, Team Goodwill is not hungry of money and wealth, but kindness. We want to make every person on the planet be kind and wants to give them a hard lesson to always help poor and needy people. So all our victim uh, victims need to be gentle and kind to get their files back. We know that uh, you are very excited for the play. Take deep breath and look all around for those who need help. You? No way. The only way to help yourself is to help others help uh, hope you understand. Now see an article for the actual see the article for the actual demands that they want you to do. But you know, obviously doing good things for people is really good and it's something that you should do, but don't lose sight that this is a ransomware thing, right? Like they are demanding that you do something and this is still kind of a form of payment. So just because you're creating ransomware and it's you know for the better, I, I don't know if they think that they're gonna get off easier if you know they get caught because they were not requesting money, they weren't demanding money, they were just requiring you to, to, to uh, do some good acts. It's an interesting kind of spin on ransomware that we haven't seen. But again, you know, it's just, it's still ransomware. It's still the same idea. It's just not money that they're demanding. So, you know, 
Take it for what it is. All right. New Microsoft Office Zero Day used in attacks to execute PowerShell. Security researchers have discovered a new Microsoft Office Zero Day vulnerability that's being used in attacks to execute malicious PowerShell commands via the Microsoft Diagnostic Tool, MSDT, simply by opening a Word document. The vulnerability has yet to receive a tracking number and is referred to by the community as Felina, which you might have heard about by now. And it's leveraged using uh, malicious Word documents that execute PowerShell commands via the MSDT. Uh, zero Days open the door to a new critical attack. Uh, Felina Zero Day opens the door to a new critical attack vector, leveraging Microsoft Office programs as it works without elevated privileges, bypasses Windows Defender detection, and does not need macro code to be enabled to execute binaries or scripts. So if you're familiar with a lot of the Microsoft Office exploits and things like that, a lot of them use macros, which are kind of recorded actions that um, you know people just take advantage of and they put malicious things into them because it just kind of, uh, it automates the process, right? So really a macro in a lot of cases is just a collection of actions that are recorded. And then so when you execute the macro, it just repeats that, those actions. But macros have been known to be malicious for a long time, but you don't need to have the macro code enabled to actually execute this stuff. So that's pretty dangerous because that's kind of taking things, you know, a step further where traditionally we're like, okay, we'll just disable macros and that will kind of defeat or, you know, slow those kind of attacks down. But apparently with this, you know, it doesn't need to be. And I have a few articles on this. So let's bring up the next one here. All right, so the next one, Windows MSDT zero day exploited by Chinese APT attackers. So again, the same thing. Chinese linked attackers are now actively exploiting Microsoft Office zero days, so Felina, to execute malicious code remotely on Windows systems. Uh, described by Microsoft Remote Code Execution Flaw, Windows support, uh, Microsoft Windows Support Diagnostic Tool, which now has a CVE, so CVE 2022-30190, impacts Windows clients and server platforms, still receiving security updates, so Windows 7 and later, and Windows Server uh, 2008 and later. So, start having um, some of the Chinese attacker groups that are getting in there doing Felina. And then Windows MSDT zero day vulnerability gets free unofficial patch. A free unofficial patch is now available to block ongoing attacks against Windows systems that target the critical zero day Felina. So now there is an unofficial patch that you can get that uh, apparently will take care of this. But the big thing with these kind of vulnerabilities, especially zero days, but really with operating system flaws, is Windows, right? Windows is one of the major players for operating systems that is everywhere. So when you affect something like that, you are effectively impacting a lot of organizations and a lot of networks, a lot of computers, right? And so it is critical that when patches come out for this kind of stuff that you get the patch. Now, don't install 
quote unquote unofficial patches that are not from the vendor. Okay, so I want to be very clear with that. We've seen people get in trouble because there are, you know, kind of these patches that are going to fix the issue that you can get off like GitHub or something like that. And then, surprise, surprise, they are malware, right? They're installing Trojans. So that is the one thing that I would say be very careful with in general when, you know, any kind of like unofficial patch comes out. Don't run off to GitHub. Install the, install the patch, what you think is going to fix it, and then you end up causing more issues. But you have to fix these critical vulnerabilities when official patches come out that are going to really fix this in the operating system because, you know, every so often we have these, and typically your patch management plans and policies, they should address different severity levels of patching. So critical or, you know, medium level severity, or maybe you do it by their CVSS score, which is like the, the basically the score that's assigned to it as far as how vulnerable that particular vulnerability is or likely to be exploited or, you know, the overall impact that it's rated. But you have to address them in order of importance and criticality. So this is one that you need to patch pretty quickly as the official patches come out. All right. U.S. academic credentials displayed in public and dark web forms. The cyber division of the FBI has published a new private uh, industry notification warning U.S. colleges and universities that higher education credentials have been advertised for sale on an online criminal marketplace and uh, public, publicly accessible sites. According to the FBI data, as of January 2022, Russian cyber criminal forms offered access to credentials from several U.S.-based universities and colleges across the country with prices ranging from a few to multiple thousands of dollars. Same document suggests that in May 2021, over 36,000 email and password combinations, some of which have been duplicates for email accounts ending in .edu, were found on a publicly available instant messaging platform. Now, this is important for a couple reasons. The first reason that I think of when I look at this article is that typically people like professors and some of these higher level positions in universities, they typically make you know, a decent income, especially when compared to just the general population, right? So they have greater access to capital and that can potentially you know, lead to some exploitation of the financial system, getting loans, all these kind of things, right? So fraudulent transactions. The other thing that I think of, right, is that these professors and these employees, these staff members, a lot of times are involved with research. So, for instance, if you have your email address and you're uh, collaborating with somebody on a research program or project or something like that, and it's in your email address and they can get in there, then maybe they can uncover some of that research information that you were talking about or you know, maybe that can lead to further information. And so that is probably the more serious thing from a macro scale. But, you know, one of the things that we've seen a lot more in companies and organizations in general is the whole two-factor uh, authorization, multi-factor authentic authentication being enabled on accounts. And I think this is really important, you know, um, 
when credentials get leaked, if you don't have multi-factor authentication enabled, well, that attacker can basically log in and see everything. And you might not get notified that somebody logged into your account, right? Uh, there are services that will email you or notify you when an unknown device is logging in. And I think that a lot of services have gotten really good at that. But, you know, if some of these countries or, you know, dark web hackers, we'll just refer to them that way, they could be, you know, nation states and things like that. But if they can get into your email, they can uncover a lot, especially if you're doing like personal things, let's say on your email. And then all of a sudden now there's blackmail information in there. And, you know, it's a serious, it's a serious thing. So keep that in mind. All right, Clearview AI fined over $8 million for data privacy violation. The uh, UK Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, has fined Clearview AI Inc. $8 million for violating the data privacy of UK residents. So we have talked about Clearview before, and they've been in trouble with several countries. But the ICO has also issued an enforcement notice ordering the company to stop obtaining and using personal data of UK residents that is publicly available on the internet and to delete the data of UK residents from its systems. According to the ICO, Clearview AI collected more than 20 billion images of people's faces and data from publicly available information on the internet, social media platforms worldwide to create an online database for facial recognition. The company collected highly sensitive biometric information without the knowledge or consent of individuals. So, you know, biometric data is really critical that, um, that you, you know, you really protect it if you collect it, but especially because the EU, UK, they have very strict requirements on privacy data. So that would include biometric data, which you can't actually change biometric data. So that is, you know, it's definitely interesting. It's interesting how they collected all the information too, right? So from publicly available sources or um, publicly available information, so that's something to keep in mind as a consumer that, you know, whatever you put out there, it could be ingested by a vendor, by some other company that you didn't originally intend it to be uh, taken by or used by. And especially in other parts of the world where there aren't as strict data privacy regulations, you just really have to be careful. All right. Airline in Turkey exposes flight and crew info in 6.5 terabyte leak. Low-cost Turkish airline accidentally leaked personal information of flight crews alongside source code and flight data after misconfiguring an AWS bucket. So AWS bucket misconfigurations or AWS misconfigurations in general, that's not a new thing. Happens a lot. And, you know, lots of secrets and things like that are exposed and it gets into the news, and just like this, big deal, right? A research team from security comparison site, Safety Detectives, discovered the cloud data store left wide open on February 28th. So not even restrictions on it, wide open. It traced some of the leaked information to electronic flight bag EFB software developed by Pegasus Airlines. EFBs are information management tools designed to optimize the productivity of airline crew by providing essential reference materials for their flight. Almost 23 million files were found in the bucket, so 6.5 terabytes of leaked data, 
Over 3 million files contain sensitive flight data, flight charts, revisions, insurance documents, details of issues found in pre-flight checks, and info on crew shifts. So that's a really serious thing, especially with all the security that's around flights and protecting that information. You know, I'm sure, and you know, I'm not an expert on flight data specifically, right? But I am sure that if you can collect information like that, that you can gain pretty good insight on, you know, what's going on with the planes, what their security procedures are, um, you know, all this kind of stuff where you could take advantage of that if you were trying to be malicious. And that's, you know, that's a serious issue. And even with all the security and stuff that's increased on airlines and air travel over the last, you know, 20 years, that's pretty scary that information like that can be leaked out. You have to be more careful with that data. And frankly, you know, something like an airplane or an airline, you know, that that can cause a lot of damage if that data is leaked. It's not like, you know, it's not like some little widget that doesn't matter. That's that's something that can really be bad for everybody. All right, Costa Rica's public health system hit by a hive ransomware following Conti attacks. Now, if you're not familiar with what's going on in Costa Rica, they've been facing a lot of ransomware attacks. They refuse to pay, and it's just been an ongoing battle. And we've talked about it in previous episodes, so go back and check them if you're interested. But uh, Costa Rica's public health service, known as the Costa Rican Social Security Fund, the CCSS, has been forced to take its systems offline after being hit by the Hive ransomware. The CCSS added that the Hive ransomware was deployed on at least 30 out of 1,500 government servers and that any estimation of time to recovery remains unknown. So I'm thinking these are probably some critical systems that they're talking about just because of the severity and how they're kind of phrasing it. But several employees of the CCSS said that they were told to shut down their computers after all the printers began spitting out unintelligible documents. Another employee said that as a result of the attack, COVID-19 results can't be reported. So, you know, again, this is just another case of a small country, small organization that's being impacted and taken advantage of by attackers because they're unable to really kind of defend themselves. And, you know, again, they, this is not good because they're in a lot of turmoil, right? This is the second major attack that they've had. And we're talking about different ransomwares. So yeah, this is, this is not good. This is, this is probably going to be getting worse before it gets better for sure. All right. High court halts Texas law targeting social media platforms. A divided U.S. Supreme Court blocked a Texas law that critics say would fundamentally transform Twitter, Inc. and Meta Platforms, Inc.'s uh, Facebook by requiring them to allow hate speech and extremism. The tech groups, which also represent Alphabet's Inc., uh, Alphabet, Inc.'s Google, said the measure would unconstitutionally bar platforms from removing neo-Nazi and Ku Klux Klan uh, screeds or Russian propaganda about its invasion of Ukraine. So... You know, especially in the U.S., there's definitely a very strong stance on free free speech. 
and, you know, what you should be allowed to say and, you know, how that is affected by if you offend somebody and do all this kind of stuff, right? And especially with, like, hate speech, right? And there's, like, controversial issues and things like that. And it's interesting in general that there'd be moves to, you know, get these platforms to to not be able to kind of prevent certain data from, you know, kind of surfacing. Um, you know, for like me personally, right, if you comment on like my YouTube channel or something like that where it's, you know, offensive or, you know, what I would deem as just not appropriate, then, you know, it's my YouTube channel. It's like I'm going to remove it, right? I'm not going to allow that kind of information to be out there. Well, you know, again on this, this kind of uh, regulation, this law, is really trying to prevent these platforms from being able to do it on their own. I mean, there's been a lot of controversy around these platforms and censorship and trying to, you know, really prevent some of this information to get out to the masses because, you know, these these platforms, right, and you got to think about this, if you ever create one of these platforms or work for one of these platforms, there's a lot of reach, right? There are... I don't know, billion people on YouTube, maybe more, right? If you can reach that many people, then you could really, uh, if you get the wrong kind of message out there, you can really cause some damage. And I don't think this is going to be the end of this. I think this is going to, you know, we're going to see more about this because there's kind of this teetering act where it's like, okay, they need to, they need to really prevent this kind of information and then they're like, well, we can't prevent certain kind of information. And then it's, you know, it's really a whole thing where I don't think it's going to be in anytime soon. So, but that's definitely an interesting article if you're, if you're interested in learning about any of the uh, social media kind of stuff that's going on right now. Connecticut becomes fifth U.S. state to enact Consumer Privacy Law. So Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont officially signed into law Public Act Number 22-15 titled An Act Concerning Personal Data Privacy and Online Monitoring on May 10th. Uh, commonly referred to as the Connecticut Privacy Act, the new legislation provides consumers with enhanced privacy rights, including the right of access, rectification, and deletion of data. It also provides the right of data portability, which empowers consumers to ask for a copy of their personal data, which is processed by the controller in a portable and, to the extent technically feasible, readily use, usable format. And the right to opt out in cases in which their data is to be used for purposes of targeted advertising, sold, or profiled by automated systems that can produce legal or similarly significant effects concerning the consumer. So... You know, again, in the UK, the European Union, uh, the EU, there are very strict rights and ways that you have to handle data, especially with privacy kind of data. In places like the United States, those kind of restrictions have not existed for a long time. I mean, obviously, they're coming on board a little bit with this being the fifth state. But, you know, typically, we're in kind of this uh, opt-in um, opt first mentality. So when you provide your information, you automatically opt in, right? Where as in some of these other places, you kind of have the option. Uh, it's kind of a default opt out, right? So you have to actually opt into it and choose that. So 
it's great to see that some privacy regulations are starting to come along. I think that's going to, you know, be interesting at some of these social media platforms that are collecting a ton of data and not really under a bunch of regulation. They're under a ton of scrutiny, obviously, but, um, you know, they're not, they don't have a ton of requirements, especially if they're not like taking transactions or taking sensitive kind of data. So I think that more states are going to jump on board with this. And I think, you know, eventually here we're going to see all, all the states in the U.S. have this. So this is another one to track, but I think that's going to take, you know, several years, if not longer, for that to kind of, kind of start sparking up. ExpressVPN removes servers in India after refusing to comply with government order. VPN uh, provider ExpressVPN on Thursday announced that it's removing Indian-based VPN servers in response to a new cybersecurity directive issued by the Indian Computer Emergency Response Team, the CERT-N. So basically, if you're not familiar with this, we covered this uh, several weeks ago, several episodes ago, but basically the idea is that India, the country, is enforcing and requiring pretty stringent requirements as far as you know, when there's an incident and how you have to report it, what kinds of things that you have to collect, like it's very excessive. And, you know, frankly, I, in my personal opinion, I think a lot of it is very hard to actually identify in that quick time frame. Um, you know, <laughs> and this is kind of the first uh, company that we've heard about doing this, kind of pulling out of the country. But I think that more companies are probably going to do this and they're probably going to have to change their attitude or their stance on this to be a little bit more reasonable. I understand what they're probably trying to do. You know, they're really trying to get a handle on some of this stuff, but I don't know that they are going to be able to mandate this on a lot of these, um, these services. It's just, you know, it says mandate VPN service providers have to store subscribers' real names, contact details, IP addresses assigned to them for at least five years. And again, there's some other stuff that they're requiring. But, you know, companies will push back if you go too far. And this is just an example of that because it's a business decision. If you, you know, if it's going to hurt your business or it's going to impact your business or your customers, you have to think about how you're going to handle that. And is it worth doing business in that country? Can you do business in other countries? Can you, um, you know, do business in other countries and still get business in that country? And how can you handle it? So it's, you know, again, it's the first con uh, company that we've seen doing this, but I really think that that is not going to be the last for sure. Let's see here. This is the very last article that I want to hit on real quick. So researchers claim that quantum uh, device performs 9,000 year calculation in microseconds. Researchers in Canada have conducted a quantum computing experiment that they claim completes a calculation in just a fraction of a second that would take a conventional computer 9,000 years. So the big reason that I want to bring this up is because you know, computers are getting more powerful every day, every year, every, you know, five years. And with quantum computing, it's basically very, very powerful computing. But the thing that came to mind for me right away is think about password attacks. 
So password attacks typically to defeat them or make them, you know, basically not feasible. You increase the length of your password and you make it more complex. So you add symbols, you do a passphrase, you do all this kind of stuff, right? Add numbers, whatever, right? And if you can do these calculations worth of basically 9,000 years in microseconds, whoa, that is serious. I don't know if this is going to be mainstream, you know, anytime soon, but that's just some serious power. And specifically with passwords, stop using just passwords. Use multi-factor authentication. You're just, you're setting yourself up for a disaster, especially if this becomes more of a thing. And frankly, you know, I mean, it's impressive, right? 9,000 year calculations in microseconds. That's it's pretty cool from a technology standpoint, but definitely from a security standpoint, that's going to be concerning. All right, so that is it for this week. Again, this was for uh, the weekly recap for cybersecurity news, May 29th, 2022 through um, uh, June 4th, 2022. This is a cybersecurity TLDR show. Again, my name is John Good. If you're joining us on YouTube, make sure that you hit the like button to like this video and subscribe to the channel as well. If you're watching or listening to this on podcasting platform, make sure that you subscribe and that you also leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. And also make sure to check out my other channel on my John Good Cyber channel, and that's on YouTube. And uh, that is going to be it for this week. I want to thank you for joining me, and I'll see you next time.